out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello, welcome. This is David Eastall. This is the C86 Show. As always, we like a special guest, and I've been tracking them down from that golden decade. That was the 80s and beyond. This week, it is going to be the turn of Dissidentum. I know, it's um, the dramatic pause. That was three years at RADA. Anyway, I tracked down a member, UV Morick, who I'm sure I've mispronounced. But anyway, this is the interview, and uh, it was based on the fact that many decades ago, I had listened to the John Bill show. I know shock horror and he played a track from an album called Sahara Electric and um, I went out and he managed to find an album um, the vinyl somewhere in some record shop bought it in fact I've got it in my hand it was $4.99 anyway this is the interview and as always we had a little chat which I've edited out and then that important question the world and the life in music UV take we it away from Berlin that's um, the start. And uh, our background, the members of our band are, have been associated with um, Can, um, Guru Guru, Embryo, Amandil, and the whole crowd rock scene. That's our, our background. But um, we also had a sort of jazzy approach playing with a couple of famous um, American jazzers like Charlie Maiano or Mel Waldron, who composed most of the Billy Holiday stuff. He was a member of our band for many years. We were sort of like a, a refugee camp for um, black American musicians who couldn't really stand what's happening to them mm. in the States. Um, so that's the background. Um, uh, and just br- just briefly, were you sort of part of the the kind of Berlin sort of counterculture during that? Was this during the seventies? Because it was quite a, a politically yeah, it started quite, in the, the late eighties. So, I mean, I'm seventy one now. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, more or less, I founded the, the stuff, and um, so it goes a little bit back. I mean, you have to see after. Second World War, the, the media in Germany, um, the, the um, how you call that, concession to do um, anything in media, newspaper, radio station, a record company or whatever, that was um, um, the right to do so was with the allies, with English, American, companies in, in the field of music mostly and um, so we started a sort of a, a counter movement I mean uh, not uh, anti-English American or whatever but sort of uh, to reflect our own place mm. in a way you know? the air you breathe or, or whatever it has nothing to do with nationalism or so it's just a you know you don't uh, how you call it? Say in English, you don't bring coal to whatever Sheffield. Or, uh, in German, we we say uh, you don't carry owls to Athens, whatever. Uh, I mean, we, to be authentic, we had to do something um, which we thought was original. Yes. That was 
the initial thing, and we later we founded the first uh, German independent label called Snowball. And, uh, uh, in the 70s, during the 70s, um, we were working, our musicians, myself and Roman Bunker and Marlon Klein, Friedo Josch, the, the four main members of the band. Um, how can I say? Uh, that all came up to uh, Nina Hagen band split. You might not know all these bands, what, what we call the uh, German New Wave. But um, in '78, uh, we did a tour of Asia for one year. Um, interesting film, by the way. Maybe I can send it to you sometimes. We had a film team with us, um, the Werner Herzog team, and uh, did a film of a tour in Asia for one year. My daughter was born there, and then uh, we had the possibility to work in uh, Bollywood music, doing soundtracks for mostly stupid Bollywood films. And um, so in the end, we thought, well, it would be interesting to bring this, this stuff to, um, to Europe, to the West. I mean, in those days, you didn't have the internet. You couldn't just... Uh, pinch any piece of music from any corner of the world, you had to be there, meet the musicians, record, work with them. Um, and that became our sort of trademark, more or less. We went around the world doing stuff in different cultures, like what you mentioned, you only know, uh, probably know the, the Arabic stuff, the Northern African, but we did a lot of stuff in uh, India, we had a project with the Mongolians. So um, we didn't know that this would, would be called sort of world music, you know, yes. whereby, I, whereby I think uh, it's a relatively stupid term, actually, you know. Yes, it's, it's, it's not a good term at all, but um, I suppose... At this, at the time, it kind of helped us. And did it take a while for you to develop your sound? I mean, did you? Was it an organic experience of of creating, or did it sort of, or were you quickly sort of tapped into a, a particular a particular vibe? Um, well, you're referring to uh, Sahara Electric, uh, the, the album which uh, John Peel played a lot. So that was was Northern Africa, you know. They have strange stuff to smoke there, yeah, and uh, it, <laughs> it reflects in the music somehow. If I listen to that today, um, yeah, of course. I mean, we stayed there in, in these places. We, we went. We stayed for month and month, and uh, uh, I just gave up my flat in uh, Tangier about seven years ago or so. From there, we would move out to the to the world. We're based in uh, in Madrid and uh, and uh, Tangier in Morocco. And um, well, as I said, you know, you, you had to sit down and play and there was no computer where you could just record and the recording was a difficult thing. So you would just sit and play and play and in the end, 
after a year that stuff came out, you know. Yes. Um, and did you, did it particularly resonate or did you have a quick connection to that particular sound? Because I know sort of having listened to John Peel religiously during the 80s, he played a lot of, you know, music from, you know, different areas of Africa and um, obviously as well as other other sort of types as well. But, you know, it was quite interesting because I remember sort of getting really excited by the Bundu boys and then he'd play stuff from sort of South Africa and then he played obviously... Yeah, uh, you know, a lot of reggae stuff. I mean, that was Jamaica. So so as I sort of became a bit more aware of playing sort of different um, kind of records from different countries around Africa, they, you know, this has a particular different sort of, especially sort of rhythm, doesn't it? And I suppose different musical instruments. I just wondered if you were particularly sort of, you know, drawn to this sort of more North America, North African sort of musical style. Yeah, it... Um... How can I say, you know, in uh, uh, Germany we have quite a, in the classical field, we have, there's quite a strong connection. Think of uh, Bela Bartok. I mean, he was Hungarian, but still part of that Central European scene, Stravinsky. They were all looking a little bit into the Balkans and Northern Africa to get, find interesting riffs or melodies and stuff. It is... I mean, from for us coming from a sort of more undergroundish rock um, background, you know, that was it was relatively easy to communicate. You know, mm. I mean, the, and the rhythms, yeah, mostly six eight, which we very often turned into four eight to make it more suitable for um, European feelings. Yeah. Um, I found it relatively, how can I say, it was very a great inspiration anyway, and it, it followed us up to today. You know. Yes. And were you, and were you surprised and excited when John Peel sort of picked up the album Sahara Electric? Because obviously he played it a lot, and I remember his... I, to this day, I can still remember it because I used to record the John Peel show. I never listened to it live. I yeah. always record it on a cassette so I could play it a few times because, you know, if you listen to new music for the first time, it's quite hard going to digest it all. So I yeah, had it on a cassette yeah. and I remember him just being so excited and I just wondered what that must have been like for you. in uh, Berlin. Actually, we, we didn't notice until uh, uh, I think it was beginning of uh, 2004, 5, 6, 7 or so, when we played in, uh, at the WOMAD, you know, Peter Gabriel's uh, festival. And, and um, lots of people came up with, uh, with the, the LPs and said, oh, you know, we, we got turned on by the John Peel show. And uh, that was the first time I noticed you know, almost like 20 years later. <laughs> yes, that's interesting. Uh, I mean, you don't, um, you don't uh, really hear, heard a lot of uh, John Peel in, in Germany, I must say. But I know by now that he was an important uh, figure to discover new stuff, you know. Yes. I know. God knows how he found it. And so, when as the eighties were progressing, you obviously you brought out a couple of live albums, 
as well as yeah. a, another studio album, which was out of this world. Did it? How was the creative process? Because often, you know, having interviewed a lot of bands, keeping keeping it going is quite a tricky art. You know, there's kind of members dynamics, the business side. How did you find de- dealing with the sort of band and navigating yeah. those waters? Um, well, first of all, with all our projects in India or whatever, whatever you call third world, yeah, a term I don't agree with, but uh, um, we always took care that these uh, musicians can um, take their own steps in Europe. You know, we would uh, register them with the authors, um, stuff and whatever was their part of the composition. They didn't know how you make money from uh, authors' rights from uh, or distribution and all that. So we helped them a lot and most of them had their own careers like the Karnataka College of Percussion from uh, Bangalore uh, they are touring worldwide on uh, jazz festivals, lots of festivals and uh, the same for the Moroccan music- musicians you know, they, because we um, uh, had always had different projects we were also working for a while with a whole symphonic orchestra from uh, Slovakia and uh, so totally different things. Um, and then we, you know, didn't didn't just uh, how can I say? Um, uh, well, anyway, we we help them that they can uh, take their own steps in Europe, looking for distribution for them or taking care of their rights and stuff like that. You know, which I think is the way you should do it. Yes. Know, yeah, because they, they have totally different uh, uh, structure of music business, I mean, strange word. And, uh, but uh, they had were living in totally different uh, structures and uh, didn't understand what's happening in the West, how you can make a living from rights and all that. So that was important for us to um, take care of this part. Yes. And what's, is the core of the band, just to sort of find out, or just to understand, is are, is it just the kind of the three members? That, the, that, the three, that, yeah. And you've always managed to sort of keep it together and to keep it working? Yes, we um, founded our own little record company where we published stuff like uh, from all around the world. We did the last Miriam Makeba album and, and stuff like that. Huh? So, um, yeah. And the 80s, um, when all the punk stuff and, and that came up, I mean, we were in India <laughs> working in, uh, in the Bollywood studios. And, uh, so uh, it didn't really affect us. Yes. Uh, and and I, I realized... Uh, when you talk about a world hit or so, I mean, you're talking maximum of seven percent, I think, of the world's population. Yeah. <laughs> there are lots of other pop stars, you know, that have bigger numbers than Michael Jackson. Also, like our last album with this Egyptian singer Mohammed Munir, you know, 
We told him, listen, man, you go, why don't you go to Facebook and make a fan page there and something. And within three months, he had like seven million <laughs> followers, you know. Uh, and, and nobody knows this guy. I mean, it's only one example. Yeah? Yes. Uh, so um, uh, you look at the, the European, American music uh, business a little bit more sober, I would say, you know. Did you, when you sort of were releasing those records, you know, the early one, did you ever sort of go, oh, my, the royalty checks this year, the royalty check that came in, did you suddenly notice it had sort of, was a bit bigger than normal because of people like John Peel playing it on the BBC? Yeah, uh, no, it, what was our real kick when, when we noticed was when uh, um, we played in uh, I forgot the name big club in, in New York uh, uh, shit, it doesn't exist anymore anyway we, we played there <coughs> there's also there's um, um, a record also a, a live record from from this concert and Madonna and David Byrne were in the public and uh, they um, convinced us we have all uh, the, our records in our own company. We never sold anything. But then uh, Sire Records came up, Warner Brothers, David Byrne helped a little bit in um, promotion and all that stuff. Then we noticed suddenly that there's uh, something happening in the, in the West as well. Yes. Oh, that was there was only one album, and then we uh, we split from from this because we were supposed to do two records, and uh, and they were expecting that we're doing another sort of like um, rock the Casper, you know, um, something more from Northern Africa. We had been working with uh, Canadian native Indians, and we wanted to call this album real American music and uh, I didn't think that this was very funny and uh, didn't want to release it and gave us some money to just go home which we uh, wanted actually you know that um, the way uh, yes I mean we come from an independent background you know and that uh, was a it was not our world, I must say, you know. Yes. And then, after the 80s, how did you sort of navigate the next, you know, the musical period? Because most people I've interviewed, most bands I've interviewed, you know, they have a, like a five-year lifespan. You know, they have a few years getting together. They bring out a single, then the album. Yeah. That does, you know, that goes relatively well. Then there's the problem with the second album, you know, the touring, you know, and, yeah. oft, and often then, you know, within five years, most bands have had a major problem and have called it a day. But you've managed to sort of keep going, not only just through a couple of years, but decades, releasing, you know, a prolific amount of albums. So I just wondered how you managed to do that. I mean, we uh, all know each other from, uh, you know, we were 15, 16, 17 years old, you know, in, uh, in the early 70s. And... Uh, well, I wonder why, but it uh, still keeps going, you know. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, I think uh, the most important thing is that we uh, uh, stayed independent, that we have our own little label and uh, and uh, we are booking our concerts ourselves. I mean, we have people helping us in, in the company, but we did uh, build up this whole structure uh, for ourselves and uh, that helped, of course, you know, mm. you can't anybody else for things going wrong. And um, yeah, and then of course we uh, have the possibility to play in odd places, you know, like in February, uh, Jekaterinenburg, <laughs> in Siberia, or uh, strange places, Borneo, or whatever. Uh, not so much in, in Europe, I must say, you know. Mm. Why is that? Because I would imagine you would have just, you know, like uh, a, a few bands that are, have a, a certain, I don't know, whether you call it cult status or sort of have been around a long time, you know, often, you know, play around Europe and the UK. So is it, you know, I just wonder what the reason for that is. Um, yeah, that is. Uh, I still haven't figured that out. I mean, it's difficult uh, uh, for a German band. The lyrics keep you, I mean, as far as I know, there are about 110 million people in Europe uh, speaking German uh, to understand German lyrics, you know. Uh, and uh, how can I explain? If you look at um, sort of... Um, sweet pop music. Uh, let's say the the uh, Italians have Eros uh, Ramazzotti. Uh, this the Spanish have uh, uh, Julio Iglesias. The French have somebody, and the Germans have Robbie Williams, of course. You know uh, that is all. It's historic because there were, was no. In the 60s, uh, I think we were the first ones in uh, in the 70s to start an uh, independent label with mostly German bands. And uh, before that didn't exist, and uh, you would automatically get uh, English and uh, American music, you know. I I think it, it is funny, but it's still a, so a sort of reparation for for Second World War or whatever, you know, uh, because there, there was the only company uh, is the Deutsche Grammophon, you know, which has all the classical stuff, and the rest there was English or American companies, and they were mostly interested to sell their own stuff, but not uh, uh, promote what's happening in Germany. And that applies to all these bands, Kraftwerk, uh, Cannes, um, Amandur, Embryo, and, and all that. Yes. It's, it's, yes, it's quite interesting. But I mean, I always think, you know, there, there's something incredibly cool about, you know, the Berlin scene, because during that kind of, I'm not sure when it started, but if I got my history right, it was the case that if you went to Berlin, you didn't have to do national service in the army, wasn't it? Yes, of course. But I'm a real Berliner, actually. You know? um, yeah, yeah, that, of course. That that was uh, was something. And um, uh, in our commune, 
for a while. Um, um, Iggy Pub was living there, uh, um, David Bowie, and so um, they all came to below. That's when he did his um, German album and stuff, you know. And so the Berlin was quite a strange uh, underground, an island in the communist sea, you know. And um, it attracted lots of people who didn't want to uh, be drafted and uh, um, students. And uh, I remember one one thing yeah? in um, well, I'd, I'd say seventy six sixty seven. Let's say between uh, seventy six and and. Um, 78, um, it was fashion in Berlin, you know, to take a, a how you call this, this sort of security needle and stick it through your ear or your nose and whatever. And that whole uh, punk thing, um, as far as fashion is uh, concerned, that definitely comes from uh, those days in, in Berlin. Um, in, in our commune, uh, this, uh, what's her name, uh, fashion lady, um, associated with Malcolm... Oh, Michael. Malcolm, yeah, Vivian Westwood and Malcolm yeah, McLaren. As well, and very um, keen on uh, how they, these freaks were running around there, you know, cutting their hair short or Iroki's uh, uh, haircut and, and all that stuff. And... Shortly after, it, it became a fashion, and uh, everybody thinks that, that the punk thing started in London. Uh, it's not really true. You know, there's a big influence from Berlin in that. Yeah? Yes, well, absolutely. And did you sort of, were you aware of people, you know, when David Bowie appeared in the sort of Berlin scene? Because it's kind of well documented now and quite famous about him having gone from London to L.A. doing his bit on you know, young Americans, and then he came over to, to sort of Berlin and that's where he created the sound of things like, uh, I suppose, Station to Station and then the Low Album. So I just wanted, you know, if yeah. you... Yeah, if... we, we, we were quite close. Uh, I, I forgot his name, but the, uh, our drummer of this time, he was playing a lot with, uh, with David and because we had this immensely big... Uh, commune you know with like 30 people or so and lots of rooms and lots of space and um as i said iggy pop was there as well and, and our drama is still playing with iggy in, in those days so that was there was a quite an um, exchange i would say you know yes and obviously you know there was something quite extraordinary about the sound from that you know bands like as she's mentioned, craft work and can and crack rock. So you must feel, looking back on that, kind of a certain, you must feel quite proud of sort of the, the kind of the musical tapestry that developed from that sort of particular period and different and area as well. Yeah. Uh, proud is not, not quite the, the right word. Um, uh, more or less, uh, more surprised, you know. Uh, <laughs> And uh, I mean, for me, it was, a, it was a bigger surprise to get the uh, Moroccan National Cultural Award for uh, bringing 
and North African music to the West, you know, by the uh, Moroccan cultural minister four or five years ago or uh, stuff like this. The same in India, we also got like uh, awards and no money, but uh, big handshakes and, and stuff like that I found, uh, <laughs> I still find more surprising. Yeah. Yes. And um, and sort of coming up to the current day, what what's kind of been your general activity over the last couple of years? And I just wonder what else you had sort of planned uh, for this coming year. You said you got a live date. Uh, concerts all over the place. Uh, unfortunately, uh, no more in the States. We were quite busy in the States also, but it's a pain in the neck to be, have to travel with um, Arabic musicians and uh, going to, to the States and it's now, <laughs> especially under Trump now, it's so uh, we, we uh, sort of quit this part, but we were still touring around the world and uh, our latest album was released um, last year. No, the, yeah, um, called We Don't Shoot together with Mohammed Munir, this famous Egyptian singer, for whom we have, we have written uh, songs since uh, the 80s. So uh, it's difficult to explain to somebody in, in Europe that, uh, you know, uh, that there are hundreds of millions of people outside of Europe or other states that also want to hear uh, concerts and have their pop stars and... Uh, I mean, when we play in Morocco, uh, a minimum of 50,000 people turn up, you know? Yes. So, uh, so you, you don't want to uh, necessarily, you know, uh, play in Europe somewhere in, uh, in second line somewhere if you have all this, you know? Uh, yes. And obviously, because you've obviously always been very good at collaborating, and finding people to collaborate with. And you had this a musical group from Morocco, which is, I'm probably going to mispronounce this, but is it Jill Giuliania? Jill Gilala and, and before Lev Shahab. Yes. And then one, uh, uh, Nasser One, sort of the Rolling Stones of North Africa. Yes. Uh, yeah, the, uh, how can I say? I mean, uh, the, these people were, uh, they, they were also hippies, you know, uh, and, uh, especially in North Africa, because they're very much influenced by uh, Spanish or um, more even uh, French press. And so they, uh, it swept over to their place as well. So there was no, how can I say, uh, as far as the underground, uh, all that is concerned, there was no difference except they couldn't afford to buy expensive uh, Marshall amps or Gibson guitars and, and stuff, you know. Uh, but the same spirit and uh, their music, it wasn't uh, folk music. And, you know, we would write songs. They had uh, the lyrics or we would write songs uh, together. We never really uh, just took material from there and... Uh, sort of uh, repeated it like parrots. You know, we, we always wanted to do something uh, where we meet in the middle with these guys, you know? Yes. 
And what would you, I mean, obviously you've got an amazing amount of experience and, and done an awful lot of things. What would you kind of say or, you know, the, the kind of top things you've kind of learned, you know, like, I often say, you know, what would you say to your 18-year-old self? But that can be a bit confusing. I mean, what would you just sort of, you know, say to somebody starting out in the world of music or even life? You know, just those things that you thought, actually, that would be quite a good thing just to pass on. Yeah, well, first, uh, I mean, first one, generally, one has to complain that uh, Google uh, doesn't pay for music, you know. They just rob, rob the whole thing, you know. They look at uh, uh, YouTube or so. There's no, there's no money in, in that, you know. Or uh, uh, so these the good old days where you could just uh, say, "Listen, I'm working on an album for a year, and then uh, I go touring, and then I can sell the album." Uh, that is sort of gone. Days. There are still a few dinosaurs running around, like the Rolling Stones or, or whatever, you know. Who, uh, yeah, I, I used to teach at uh, university in Bavaria for a couple of years. So. And uh, young students came up and, and, uh, and they said, oh, the young ones amongst you uh, might still remember the CD, you know. Uh, so music is uh, moving in totally different fields nowadays and to make a living of that is very difficult I would say in nowadays uh, as, as you mentioned you know you can do something and it, it makes a hit and but uh, it's very hard for young musicians in those days to sort of work with the perspective of a lifespan yeah being able to uh, change your whole uh, attitude, your whole music, you know. If you hear our, our stuff, uh, you, you'll find a lot of very uh, different stuff. There's no particular sound to our music, I would say, you know. I mean, uh, the Arabic stuff has a certain sound. The Indian is much different. Uh, the classical stuff is very Central European, you know. So um, uh, I, I don't um, I, I don't envy young musicians. No. Yeah, well, under, under these uh, economic circumstances, you know. Well, it's interesting because every band I've, or musician that I've interviewed, and mostly it's, you know, people who were around in the 80s and, and that kind of musical scene. And, you know, they've done that stuff and some mostly have moved on, done other things, come back to music. But they look back or they they now realise that they just don't understand how young musicians and young bands do it now. They really are completely confused. It's a bit like, how do they survive? And I think that most bands probably have a part-time job. They can't... I think with a lot of people who I've interviewed, yeah, yeah. when they did music in that period that they were doing it, they were able to concentrate 100% and give it everything they had and probably created... And because of that, created something kind of quite special, whereas now I think yeah. a lot of bands aren't able or artists aren't able to give it 100%. So I think a lot of the music, and this is a little bit simplified... 
isn't quite that interesting because I think they've had to say, well, I can't do anything Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday because I've got a part time job. And then I want to come back on Friday and we can play some more music. Whereas yeah. I, I think if you can't give it 100 percent, it doesn't quite create something that is absolutely unique. Yes, and, and also uh, uh, the, the technical uh, conditions, you know, uh, I'm sitting in front of my little Mac here and uh, when I switch off, I can go to my, uh, my um, program, you know, and uh, if I wanted to record or compose and sound files, everything is there, but until uh, Back in the 80s, I mean, you really had to sit together and play, you know. What we usually did was, like, play the stuff live for one year and then record it, yeah. Mm. And nowadays, you have somebody, uh, he's the producer, and then, uh, you know, you send sound files of the guitar, and then he has a possibility to cut, to pitch, and uh, do a lot of uh, things. So it's a different... Um, style of working yes i think yes i've come across quite a few bands there's a little bit uh, missing you know and from a lot of music i hear now and i don't want to sound um, pessimistic or so but a lot of stuff i i can just hear and feel the the binary uh, system you know one zero one zero uh and uh no, that was different in those days, you know. Mm. But I mean, I'm not uh, nostalgic. I must say, new circumstances and they're also interesting. Yes, well, that's true. And um, yeah, well, look, I think I've got quite a bit there now. Actually, I've um, yes, about forty uh, minutes. And and just just briefly, how do you pronounce your just to to, to make sure? How do you pronounce your name? U V E. Um, this is Viking for wolf, because <laughs> I was born in on an island island in the Baltic Sea uh, between uh, Germany and Sweden, um, uh, and Mulridge at the end. Mulridge. Um, yeah. Yes, and your two co-members. Well, you're not co-members, but you're because there's a three-piece. So how yeah, do you... it's the, the flute player? He's there is uh, Frido, Josh, yes, and Marlon Klein. Oh, Marlon Klein! I'll have no problem with that one. But that's uh, great. <laughs> <laughs> but look, thank you ever so much. I managed to sort of get hey, this together. Yeah. Okay, let's keep in touch. I I think I got your contact. I can send you some music. And, and, and,